Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Count to 10 podcast. And on this show, as y'all know, we talk a lot about marginalized people and issues and things that go on the sidelines of our country and our world. And today's episode is particularly close to home because as a lot of you know, I have been a caregiver and I'm also currently a caregiver. And it hits really close to home with all of the responsibilities that entails. And I know that we've seen personally in our family as well as other times in my life where with caregiving, changing somebody and bathing them and all these different responsibilities that come with that can be a big strain on the family as well as the person who is being cared for. And it can be a really, really tough ordeal to go through. So today we have on our show Helia and Elena, who are owners and businesswomen in the adaptive wear lines, as well as lines for people with medical needs. And I just want to give them the floor to introduce both their companies as well as their missions and what they do and the whole spiel. So I'm so happy to have you both on the show today. Do you want to go first, Helia? Oh, okay. Um, I'm Helia Mohammedian, the founder and CEO of Slick Chicks. Uh, we design accessible intimates, underwear um, for people with various disabilities, chronic illness, people who have limited mobility, the aging population, you name it. We try to be as accessible and innovative as possible uh, designs. Um, we are on a mission to basically just, you know, take intimate apparel and make it accessible for all people, make people feel empowered, confident, dignified, sexy, all of the above. Um, just, you know, whenever you look good, you feel good, and feeling good kind of just gives you that confidence that I think everyone deserves. So thanks for having me. I can't wait to uh, share more about us, our, our story, and our mission. And um, yeah, I'll take it away, Elena. <laughs> so I'm Elena cortez Neville, and I'm the founder and CEO of Ability Adaptive Wear. We've been you know, keeping up with uh, Helia and Slick Chicks for over like two years now, and it's this great little community of adaptive designers. Um, which feels really supportive and wonderful as compared to like so many other industries which are tend to be like competitive. So that's you know one great thing about like that I love about this space. Um, and then as for Ability Adaptive, where we were founded to essentially create at the time what we didn't really know like what we were going to specialize in, but we knew we wanted to make you know adaptive clothing, whether that's shirts, pants, uh, waistbands, like accessories for different medical devices, basically based on what our community was asking for. So we're very we're a very like community-based, community-driven company and our design process is as well and we essentially just, you know, put feelers out into the community and we ask people what they want. So we've grown this um, you know, disability community on Instagram, not grown ourselves. I think, you know, Helia is part of that and so are all of these other adaptive brands, but we've really pulled together people who are disabled, people who have medical devices, chronic illnesses, and we very much just like listen and we kind of, you know, we ask what they need, like what kinds of accessories do they need to support their medical devices or, you know, their bodies when they're sitting in wheelchairs. And we just kind of go from there. So it's sort of an evolving brand and we're adding more clothing this year. But yeah, I mean, it's just been like a fascinating ride and something really meaningful to kind of get into. So that's, you know, kind of my life right now is just figuring out what people need and then seeing how we can use 
you know, our team's talents and skills to provide that. I'm really excited for the next few years. I think adaptive clothing is just going to boom. I think it's starting to, and we're seeing that, and I'm ready for the disability revolution. I think it's coming. Ooh, I love that you said that, the disability revolution, because the the population, I think I saw it was a statistic from the World Bank where it said about 15% of the population experiences some form of visible or non-visible disabilities. So I think that the revolution encompasses a very large portion of our population. And with that being said, I'm a big fan of origin stories. I love when I see that people are doing healing work or work that is very helpful to the community. I love hearing what became the the catalyst for that, right? So I want to start with Helia and just talk about what is your origin story? What were you doing before you started Slick Chicks? And then how did it come about? Like what prompted you into this line of business as well? Yeah, sure. So um, I've always been into fashion since I was a kid. Like I was drawing bathing suits and designing dresses. Um, So I always knew I wanted to do something in fashion. Um, So I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology, studied product development, design. Um, They just loved taking something from scratch and creating a 3D product. And that was like something I knew I always wanted to get into. And so I had like, you know, a string of like jobs with different fashion houses like Carolina Herrera, Cynthia Rowley. I worked at Bergdorf's and not any of it was really that fulfilling for me. And I think I had like this like pivotal moment in my late 20s where I remember the day I was like leaving work, called my dad crying saying, doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. Like I'm not making an impact. I, I you know, I'm almost going to be 30 and this is not really what I want to do. And I quit my job and kind of went on this like soul searching experience for a year. And during that time, my sister had given birth to my nephew, who's seven years old now. She had a pretty debilitating experience with her C-section. So um, I her it was temporary for her, not even permanent, but uh, where she couldn't physically bend over and do things like her husband had to help her, you know, something as intimate as changing her underwear. Literally, I remember this conversation um, she do on her own. So I was like, well, there's got to be products out there that can make your life easier for, you know, this post-surgery recovery. And got on the internet, started Googling. I didn't Google adaptive because I had no idea what adaptive meant then. It was all just sterile, medical, bland products. And so I basically like took a pair of, you know, underwear that I purchased and cut them up and made like fasteners, like literally on the floor of my New York City apartment, Um, sewed something together, sent it to her and was like, what do you think about this? And she was like, I love it. Oh my gosh. And I was like, really? Like, do you love it enough? Like that you would actually buy it. And she's like, I love this. I I don't know what you're onto, but this is great. So I was like, all right, this is my calling. This is what I'm going to do. We launched a Kickstarter. I, people that were pre-ordering our products were like basically giving me the use cases. They're like, I'm a wheelchair user. I have chronic illness. I have a catheter. I'm X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh my gosh, This can actually help more people than I even realized. So I pivoted uh, our mission a little bit. The product never really changed because it was accessible. It just meant it was meant to be accessible. And so we're here today now, like the product helps more people. And it's, you know, whether you're going through something that's temporary or you are learning to adapt later in life or you were born with a disability, I think, you know, it's a universal product. It can help so many people, but we never forget 
that people who are marginalized and who haven't had access for so long to products like this, those are those people are our priority and we make sure to innovate and create more products that can be accessible because we're still figuring it out. We're still relatively new, even though I started seven years ago, like the, the world wasn't really ready then. Elena was saying it is a revolution. It's an exciting time to be part of fashion right now. I see these products become more mainstream. And, but that's kind of like the journey of, of how we got here. Not not very conventional, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was a, lear a learning process for me, for sure. It's funny when you were saying that like the world wasn't ready yet. And I'm like, but the people that needed this, yes. so ready, right? right. The industry yeah. is probably, but like yeah. when you were talking about even your friend and, and giving birth, my mom had a traumatic C-section as well with me. I was one of those babies that had the old umbilical cord. I got tangled up. Oh my gosh. And yeah. we had an emergency C and she talked about how mortifying that recovery was because in the NICU, they actually had her laying down because of the epidural or like the medicine from the c-section so she didn't get to become mobile right away which no one informed her that's really important for skin tightening and all the the things so by the time it was time for her to actually walk she said it was actually mortifying and that was 27 years ago so there has been a consistent and evolving need and especially what um, elena was saying about how this industry is growing right you're also having medicine that is growing and changing and treatment. So as treatments change, the things that people need also change and evolve as well. There was a day when catheters weren't around and things like that. And now this is something that is a, an extreme need and everything. So now jumping into that, I want to hear more about Elena's origin story. What were you doing before this? And then how did you get into, you know, ability and all the whole spiel? I'm yeah, so yeah, excited. definitely. I have so many things on my mind right now, just based on what both of you guys said, but we'll get into that later um, but I think one really important thing to kind of yeah I think reiterate about what Helia said really quickly before we get into my origin story or abilities origin story a truly accessible product has so many more needs than what you intend for it to have and that's such an exciting part of like this whole you know process is when you figure out that like a pair of adaptive underwear really serves like 100 times the number of people that you intended it for it to serve, you know, originally. Yes. And so designing excessively, I think that's kind of like the main, I don't know, like that's like the main criteria of something that's truly accessible, right? Is that it just, it doesn't just serve one population. So I think that's really important because companies really need to focus on those products first. Um, so rewinding, I guess, seven-ish years ago, six-ish years ago, or even before that, really, I grew up at a camp for children with disabilities. So both of my parents are physicians. They actually brought me to this camp that they worked at in Texas, and it was one of the first, I guess, like accessible camps. So it was a summer camp. It was overnight. And it was for kids who had a range from like having a feeding tube to being completely nonverbal, being in a wheelchair. And it was one of the first accessible camps that existed and probably still one of the only ones. But I attended it from age zero when I was still in my mom's belly and then grew up being in the cabins with campers just while my parents were doing their work for about seven years. And I think that really kind of started my life off with this like just appreciation for people's differences, including my own, right? Because being at that camp, I was actually one of the most different campers there. Being, you know, physically non-disabled, but having ADHD and anxiety, so more invisible illnesses, that was kind of like a way for me to just understand and appreciate how wonderful it is to connect with people 
no matter how different you are, right? So from whatever perspective, there's something that's so rewarding about just being able to like connect with the humanity in other people. And that kind of underlies, you know, all of the work we do. But I sort of forgot about that part of my life until about seven years ago. You know, I kind of joined up with a family friend and she had this idea to create a feeding tube onesies. So for babies that were her patients. And at the time I was uh, pre-med, so I was still in college. Um, but I always had this part of me that was like this repressed artist. <laughs> and I really just like, <laughs> like I, I wanted to do fashion. I wanted to do art. And I, for some reason, like, grew up thinking that wasn't enough. And maybe this is somewhat similar to Helia's experience where, like, because of the way these industries are now, like, we've, there's kind of something lacking in terms of, like, um, or at least for some people, in terms of, like, what's, like, the, what's the, like, true purpose, like, in this, you know, for other people, especially for people who are marginalized. Because right now, art, fashion, like, they don't serve, um, you know, beyond a certain percentage of the population so I kind of grew up with that thought in my head that like art fashion they weren't like worthy um kind of things to go into which is totally false right and I think that's what we're kind of seeing now is that you know they have art and fashion and music and makeup like these things have the ability to transform people's lives and I think like as a society we've dumbed it down a little bit and we've just not done as much as we can do through those mediums and I started to realize that when I was working on this project and I realized that you know adding little openings in bodysuits for babies who have feeding tubes made a like, huge difference in the parent's life like who was taking care of the baby and that might speak a little bit to you Brie and, and your caregiving um, which I'm interested to hear more about. Yes, yeah, definitely. it just sparked this whole, I don't know, just like this creative process, this sort of like revolution in my creative process and in my head and, you know, with how I could change the world. So I actually started med school and I dropped out to continue pursuing this thing, like this company, just realizing that like I could be impactful now and I could, I was already doing it and I could do it in a bigger way, but it needed my full attention. And I just didn't feel like, medicine like as much as I loved it and as much as I loved everything that goes into it it felt so restrictive and for someone with ADHD often like um those kinds of jobs are very (laughs) they're very restrictive or they feel very restrictive because you're kind of confined to the rules like the system (laughs) as soon as you said that I knew you were gonna say rules because we 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 like to have that freedom (laughs) yeah we need our creative freedom that's kind of just where we come from but I very much feel like I'm you know kind of speaking my truth now and I've sort of come out as an artist (laughs) and someone who's in fashion um versus you know I think this expectation from my family and from um myself even of me going into medicine so that's kind of long-winded version of my story but I'm just I'm excited to be in this space and to be working you know with people like Helia and so many other people that you know we've met just through through this community including you know the people that we serve like it's especially during COVID we I think like yeah just the connections that I've made and the the things that I've heard like is enough to be sort of like self-regenerating I guess in terms of like my energy to do this absolutely and and what's interesting too about how um, you're saying too like that these things can serve a small you know 
portion of the population, we also sometimes forget about like acute disabilities, right? That may be situational. I find it so funny that I relate to both of your origin stories with, you know, things that I've experienced and that just shows the in-depth need for these things. Um, I actually had my partner on a previous episode where we talked about what it's like we both have invisible disabilities. So we were speaking on that and how we get those dirty looks when <laughs> when we have up the, the handicap placard in the car and my partner has Crohn's disease that has resulted in like double hip surgery at, by the end of high school and things like that where he also has to be able to get to the car or access a bathroom or be able to get home at a very quick rate, you know? So I think that visibility is very, very important. And I believe that both of your brands are also creating visibility the more they grow in scale of the disabled community as well. It's almost like being left-handed in a right-handed world. That's kind of what having our invisible disabilities feel like where a lot of things are catered towards, for me, neurotypical or neurodivergence is something I have to constantly adjust to. And then in his case, he struggles because his disability isn't always visible. When he was in a wheelchair, of course it was for you know his hip surgeries and things, but it's a constant struggle for visibility. And so I just appreciate both of your origin stories, but also I was very curious about this. What are some difficulties that you've had bringing your brands into to market or some challenges and either of you can go first but I, I guess since we'll, we've been keeping this flow I can start with Helia what are some challenges or roadblocks you've had with bringing your brand to market sure yeah I've had quite a few challenges like Elena I started you know several years ago and how the market wasn't really ready and that itself that was the challenge because we were such a new to market type of product first off it was a challenge to even get anyone to even hear about us. So it was like brand awareness was a challenge. And then, you know, there were people who didn't have um, a disability. They didn't really understand the product, especially, you know, whenever we were trying to go out and raise money. And now we see that there's a lot of competition, but then it was like, you're like a blue ocean company out there, like trying to just like get this going. And, you know, pe people either really get it or they don't get it at all. And so it was just like trying to, to, to create that awareness. But um, what I can say is that our early um, adopters, our, our customers that with us, like from day one, uh, they're so loyal to us and we've definitely really relied on their feedback and they've, you know, they've been with us since we were like, literally like just, and it, like nobody knew about us. Like, I mean, we're still so small, we're still trying to get out there, but um we, you know, we barely existed. So we were really just kind of just trying to get this product to market in a time where people weren't really understanding the market for it. Uh, it shouldn't be something that people have to search for because they don't know what adaptive is. It should be something that's just yeah. normal, like, you know, everything exactly. else. So it's just yeah. trying to get to that point and seeing that and realizing that and putting like people first. What's so great, despite the challenges, is that we have such an incredible community uh, that bands together, kind of just like lift each other up, which is amazing, which you don't really see so much in fashion, um, you know, Very competitive, but within our, <laughs> our industry, I would say it's more supportive than anything. And it kind of has to be. And, and I think like, um, Helia brings up a really sort of important thing, which is that like, 
you know, kind of what underlies all of the difficulty that all of us right now, small brands are having. And I think Helia is probably going to make it the furthest, the soonest, right? Like you've been working on this for seven years, you've got your funding, you have this product, and now you have two kinds of products. You have your bras, you have your underwear. And like, I mean, I'm excited for where you're going, first of all, but I think something that all of us experience like at the beginning and we're kind of in this now so we're in our fundraising stage is just this like convincing people that this is a market right like people you know they hear our story and they say oh isn't that very niche like how do you think like that's a word we hear all the time like how do you think you know you're really going to scale this and that word is just so frustrating now because I think you brought up Brie earlier on that there is a statistic about of like 15% of people. And so I, I read that too. And actually since the last time I read that statistic has grown That's and it's crazy. really closer to 20% in the world and 25% mm-hmm. in the US, which is yeah. mind blowing. Like I just learned. And it leaves so many people out. Like if you think about rural areas, even within the United States, where people are getting seen by these very small like local facilities and may not even be tallied in, it's, it's literally, a forgotten portion of the population, is sadly to say. And I think the invisible um, illness and invisible disability community, like you were mentioning, um, and for people that don't know those terms, you should know them. And, and what they refer to is like any chronic illness or disability that's you know just not visible. So having a wheelchair is very visible. Having an ostomy can be visible if you show it. It can also be invisible if it's something that you put under clothing. Either way is fine. It's you know up to the person's preference. But that kind of brings us back and something you brought up earlier too, which is that if someone has a disability placard or if someone's using a handicapped bathroom stall, just don't come with judgment before you come with um, yeah. with non-judgment, with, um, you know, empathy. yeah, empathy, exactly. And having in the back of your mind that they could possibly have an invisible illness, an invisible disability, and it's never in anyone's best interest to assume that they're being, you know, a butthead, for lack of a better yes, word. So there's actually a story that I wanted to interject with briefly that just it, it really it drives it home for me and it has impacted even my thought process even though I'm in this situation where we're, we both have disabilities there was a woman on Twitter who literally said showed a picture of a note someone left on her car saying how like shame on you for abusing this system when so many people need these spaces and you're basically taking advantage and you should be ashamed of yourself and she posted the note on Twitter And then a picture of her holding it and was like, I am a stage four cancer patient. And then I was like, whoa, see, this puts these things into so much perspective about minding your business (laughs) as a really big part of when it comes to people with disabilities and things like if it's not affecting you, either do something to help or mind your business. Like it's not on you to pass judgment or anything. And I was like, and if someone is abusing the system, it's also not your responsibility to be the officer <laughs> in charge of that, you know? And also like caregivers, sometimes caregivers also use placards. And and that's another thing that people kind of forget. Like sometimes the person that you might live with may be, for example, immobile or something like that. And you have to run and get something very quickly. Like I know I've had to run and get like Pedialyte or certain things. And I'll have to run out with the placard and just pull into a space really quick and and drive home and so it's like even if you see someone that does seem completely able they might also be a caretaker for somebody that needs something in a quick second in a hurry so (laughs) I just wanted to interject that story because 
it's very, very important to just assume the best before you assume the worst. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's not anyone else's responsibility. Like, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to um, be the bigger person and, like, show up someone who actually potentially has a disability, right? Like, if you're coming from a place of empathy and understanding, then, you know, understand that it's not your business. Um, Unless you see someone actively, you know, discriminating against or like harming someone with a disability, then obviously that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a situation where maybe it is important to stand up for people with disabilities. But if you don't know, like you can't really know if you're doing something positive or negative and you should just, yeah, come, come from a place of knowing that you might not know exactly what's going on. And I I think that's, you know, to tie it back to like what one of the biggest barriers is for designers and small companies in this industry, um, a lot of it is getting past that like lack of understanding or Mm -hmm. misunderstanding. And really it's to everyone's detriment if they don't have someone with a disability in their life, if they don't, if they're not aware of the way that disability can look in society. And just like as we've seen like this community is so wonderful and we consider ourselves part of it and as companies that serve it right and if I didn't have this community like I probably would be severely depressed right now like I've been able Mm -hmm. to you know make friends through this community to be supported in return and for people who don't have this like opening into the disability community or who don't know someone in the disability community it's not that they're they're not better off they're actually probably missing out on a lot and I think it's kind of everyone's responsibility to learn more about the disability community in the same way that it you know we really were shown that it is our responsibility to learn more about black Americans and I think that like people need to really understand that applies to disability, that applies to Asian American Pacific Islanders, that applies to all sorts of different marginalized communities. And you're not lucky if you're not aware, right? Like you're missing out and you're part of the problem. And that's like the theme of the show. Literally why I created this podcast is literally to shine a spotlight on marginalized communities. And it's funny because everything you mentioned is actually in our season one lineup. So it's really exciting. We're, We're finally able to shine that light and give that voice. One of the definitions that I came up with for privilege that I feel is very universal that a lot of more people can grasp onto, I said privilege is the ability to not think about something or know about it in depth and there not be any severe consequences to you or your future. When we look at the businesses that you all have started, there are people out there who they cannot know about any type of disabilities outside of maybe the the few visible ones that they know from like maybe film or, or seeing in everyday life. And there's no significant impact to their trajectory for that level of ignorance essentially. So what we want to do is change that because now there's starting to be some accountability for that level of ignorance where, you know, people are losing jobs for making certain statements. They're starting to be held accountable. And I think in the disability space, we're starting to see that emerge too a little bit with a certain language. I'm still unlearning a few things like that are just like habitual to me that might be very ableist language and things like that. It's still it's a every it's a day by day thing like I am definitely not perfect. And there's some things I've been saying since I was like a little kid that I'm still unlearning but but at least you're aware. Oh, yeah. That's my biggest thing is people have to educate themselves. It's not like anyone else's job to explain 
you know, their disability or their experience, you as a human being should want the best for other people. This isn't just about like profiting off of a product. This is about resources, sharing experiences, voices, storytelling. So that's like, Mm -hmm. I think the most, um, like important part of our business is our ambassadors, like the heart and soul of what we do are those people, those voices that share those stories. They're impacting like maybe one person, maybe a thousand, who knows, but they're sharing their story. They're putting it out there and they're changing like society's perception. Exactly. But it brings us back to like the educational part of it. Yes. So I think that's like the biggest thing I always try to stress when I'm speaking to people who didn't know that this product was needed or how we're impacting the quality of someone's life. Yeah. We take for granted able-bodied person, you know, putting our clothes on every day. Exactly. And I think empathy is created through, like you said, experiences and storytelling, right? So it even brings me to something that I was really curious about. Is there anything that either of you have had to unlearn along your journey? Oh, yeah, definitely. So even to the point where I recently started, I still handle our social media. I think that's like the best way to keep sort of the top of the company, like down to earth kind of. And I recently started this series on Insta stories where when I come across something that is worded like it could be ableist, maybe it's not, like it's definitely not intentionally ableist, but it might be like a motivational quote from like a fitness account or something like that. I'll share it and I'll do a poll, like accidentally ableist or not, and have our community respond. And I've been really surprised that things that kind of seem a little bit ableist to me, like things that associate you know, the pinnacle of human existence as being, like, health, right? Like, being, like, a healthy, fit person. Like, that's very ableist. So a motivational quote about that that's for people who are really into fitness, you know, usually 80-something percent or 90-something percent of our followers will say, yeah, I think that's ableist. So there are these things that seem, like, very, like, kind of, like, benign, like, that they're, you know, they're motivational. Like, the intention might be very positive. They might be... Mm -hmm the phrase might be intended to motivate people to take care of themselves and actually maybe is somewhat ableist as well because from your experience Bree, I'm just realizing this now um, not everyone can take care of themselves and so I'm realizing as I'm talking that um, to assume that people can in itself is ableist so but look at that like you just came to this realization like yeah literally live on air just in in a few moments of just thinking through things like and thinking critically like so i encourage listeners out there to have certain conversations and while you're listening to this think critically about some things you may be saying or doing and think like is this ableist because that's one of the things like i said about privileges you don't have to think about it so encouraging yourself to think about it is combating your privilege in whatever category it may be since we are intersectional beings you know so i think that's super super important to constantly challenge yourself like even helio was saying that self-awareness is really important because I we're not striving for, for uh, perfection on this show, y'all know. Is we're very imperfect over here, but I think the commitment to just self improvement and whatever that looks like for you is really important. And that even brings me to what is something that you would like to see changed in the next few years in this industry? I hope that it's not like we don't have to even call it adaptive anymore. Because Mm, I feel like there's, like, a stigma around that. Like, 
Yes. I'm just hoping that it's like just clothing and apparel and, Mm. you know, it's not like uh, niche, right? I'm very grateful for our retail partnerships. I'm like super happy that we're with Aerie, that we're with Target. But the whole point of us trying to be mainstream and launch these products mainstream is because why are we trying to keep it in this like like niche, this bubble, right? Like everyone should have access. I think part of being an accessible product is to actually be accessible to people. (laughs) To everybody. You know what I mean? We're not trying to like check the the box of like, we need to be in these big box retailers. It's like, no, people of all various disabilities or um, people with illness Mm -hmm. or mobility issues, dexterity issues, everyone should have access to clothing that works for them. Um, it shouldn't be like, exactly. oh, it's just adaptive, you know? So <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, I mean, I think that um, for me, that's the you know, why we wanted to kind of go mainstream was just to make it accessible. And I know that there was some big article that came out about, um, you know, their flyies and their shoes. And it's like, they created this product that can really serve a purpose. You know, the, um, the laceless shoes, like so many people can yes. use that product, but so many people who needed the product didn't even have access to it. And it's not like Nike mm. tried to do something really good and they had like a good intention, but I don't think they like saw it through completely um, because yeah. their origin story for that shoe was based off of someone who had a disability. And that should have been more mm. of a storytelling part of uh, yeah. the creation of this shoe. So I think there's like mm-hmm. companies that are trying to be inclusive, but like, yeah, they need to partner, I feel like, yes. with small businesses and do collaborations. hundred <laughs> percent. That have the expertise already rather yeah. than trying to, like, frankly, this is no shade to Nike, but, like, half-ass it and really just go in and, like, you know, do something because they feel it's important. I think yeah. I'm, I'm huge on, and as you can see on this show, calling in the experts okay like i think when i don't know something i don't like talking on it or speaking on it until i until i know and i will definitely ask questions and call upon people that know and even developing like committees and panels to review and say because look at what you were able to just disclose in this moment of analyzing the brand and saying wow it's still just not accessible to everyone that would need it. That's a huge revelation that would be so beneficial if, you know, brands like Nike, Under Armour, all these like sportswear brands, if they were to partner with businesses like what you all are doing and have collaborations, like, you know, imagine Nike X Slick Chicks, like that would be so (laughs) cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but it, it does go back to like what you were saying. Like that's like something that, I would like to see change for sure. Like, you know, Absolutely. we're, we're, we're like scratching the surface. Like we're, we're growing, we're getting there, mm-hmm. but like, there's still so much work that needs to be done and we don't do it perfectly. We're still figuring it yeah. out, you know, as we go. But I think it's just like remembering. And I think we, we talk about this, um, you know, a lot, but it's empathy and, and putting people first. Yes. Like that is like what builds the company. And like, that's, Basically, for us, it's like the heart and soul of what we do is trying to be inclusive, trying to, Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we aspire to empower people through our products, but through storytelling also. And yeah, I agree with you. Bigger brands should definitely definitely partner with companies like Elena. If you don't, it's like consumers are smart. It defeats the purpose a little bit. Absolutely. They're very much like invested in the company's mission, not just the product anymore. So Absolutely. And that like is such an important piece because what you're saying sounds a lot like othering, right? And that's having these brands, even if they are 
in their own section so they're easy to find in the fashion section. It shouldn't be othered. And rather than othering, I feel like celebrating is the best way to to be inclusive sometimes. So also, Elena, like, what would you like to see in... <laughs> I, I have a million things that I want to say. Um, the scroll down. <laughs> I, will, I mean, honestly, the main thing is exactly what Helia said. So we've been building this industry that's like kind of separate but equal. And that's like a term that we've heard before. Right. And it, it, we know mm-hmm. what it means. It means that there is a large part of society that just doesn't want to be inclusive. And that's like such a scapegoating way to say that. And we have this adaptive community and we have the fashion industry. And we really need to, like, we need to, like, build a bridge between adaptive and fashion. And Helia's doing that by going into Nordstrom's, Airy, um, and uh, Target. And we need the fashion industry to, like, kind of meet us halfway. So we need to not only have adaptive brands thinking more even more inclusively than we are, right? Like we need to figure out, like using like Slick Chicks as an example, like last time I showed my mom the, you know, underwear that fastens on the side that Helia uh, invented actually and patented. Like my mom said, I would love that for when I want to change my underwear, but I don't want to change my pants. And she's physically non-disabled. And that's like a perfect example of how that product that, you know, is intended to be adaptive is not only adaptive and accessible, but it's really just functional, right? And we're working on um, figuring out, like, how do we ensure that our future, like, lines, like our future products um, are not just adaptive, but they're functional too, as a way to build that bridge between adaptive and fashion, um, just so that we don't end up with two separate industries. And I think that is something that both sides really need to work on and just like you said Helia like and you too Brie like I think bigger brands they need to start reaching out to the experts right and Helia and I could probably name like 20 brands (laughs) right now Um, and and we will if you'd like us to of experts right now yeah in this industry I can start and Helia you can kind of fill in but um, big brands like reach out to these companies because they've been doing the work I'll start with Ability, Slick Chicks, Unhidden Clothing, Unitable Clothing, Fora, F-O-R-A. Helia, do you want to add any in? Uh, Mega Swimwear, Magna Ready. I mean, there's like a, a Patty and Ricky is a marketplace. Juniper is a marketplace. Uh, it's even just like brands, but it's services and, and, and products that, you know, are accessible for more people. But what Elena saying is 100% right, correct. Like, I feel like we're trying, like, we want to be inclusive, but by being you know, keeping it in this bubble, we're being exclusive. So like, how do we combat that? We need to be inclusive without being exclusive. It's like, let's celebrate our like differences, but we also need to unite at the same time. Exactly. Uh, Today's episode with a question that I think a lot of people are curious about as well. I know there are, again, so many other markets and marginalized groups that, you know, span over many categories. So is there any piece of advice or thing that you wish someone had told you when you were starting out um, that you can share with an aspiring entrepreneur? What would you tell them today you wish someone told you? Mine is like, it's pretty personal actually, or it's very personal and it's less about like adaptive like products specifically or new products specifically. But I would say like, if you know like what your heart loves, like whether it's Mm -hmm. art, fashion, science, like sports, like if you know drives you and like what motivates you, don't listen to anyone else's opinion on that. 
and do like do with your life like what what gives you energy and what makes you happy because you might go through a very long route to end up back at that place <laughs> that's something that I did but like so it true. is just that is the the world wants you to be like who you are not like what anyone else's expectations of you are and that's just how you are going to be happiest and how you're going to do the most with your life is like really just pursuing what you love like do something that doesn't even feel like work because your heart is so in it that you wake up every morning and you want to do that and that would be like my advice to anyone not even entrepreneurs but it's so like kind of cliche right and like easy to say but really hard to like it's so live true. but it's really true <laughs> it really is true oh my gosh and hell yeah so is there anything that you would tell your past self that you wish someone had told you gosh yeah i i mean i went into it very like naively and I think that benefited me but I had no idea what I was embarking on I saw something that I thought was like you know like common sense to me like it should be like it should be you know fashion and function can go hand in hand and um it, it can be like something that is you know right in front of your face or you do every single day you don't even realize it and serve a purpose or you can actually do something that can change the lives of billions of people if you're going to get into this market it's always changing and you know you should change with it and you should you know definitely educate yourself but it's a never ending learning process i learn something every single day um and going into it i knew it wasn't going to be overnight i knew it wasn't going to be easy i didn't realize how challenging it was going to be but um you just have to have to just always like elena said remember like what's that spark inside you don't listen to the naysayers keep learning never stop um well, there's like so many things that i could say to my like past self but um <laughs> 10 years later here i am but um yeah it's it's definitely um starting a company uh about like the growth process and the learning and that's never going to change so get ready for it the biggest believer you need is yourself and that's been a struggle I've had for a very long time and I still struggle to this day with it like it's been very like challenging but just never lose sight of uh, what you can do for others and you know for people who maybe don't have a voice and how you can create that platform or that space that service that product um, that truly impact even one person's life so yeah, I think that's like, you know, be humble and learn. And that's uh, such a good note for us to close on, y'all. Like, I literally believe if you look at so many things that are present today in our everyday life, if you really think about just I, I do this all the time for fun. I'm that kind of person <laughs> where I am. I look around my house and imagine like, I wonder what the initial conversation was like when somebody first pitched this idea and how many people gave them the side eye. Even if you look at like a, the Will Smith example he gave about airplanes, like he said someone, these two brothers said, let's throw scraps of metal together and fly human beings through the sky. Like that does not <laughs> sound very realistic, right? And now oh my we have God. Yeah. a multi-billion dollar airline industry. So if you <laughs> see something, you know, has potential, go for it. And uh, also like, Let's let our uh, listeners know where they can find you online and everything and support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we are online at uh, www.slickchicksonline.com and you can show us some love and check out all of our incredible ambassadors on Instagram at slickchicksonline. 
Yeah. And uh, for us, the best way to find Ability right now is probably Instagram, honestly. And we're at Ability, so A-B-I-L-I-T-E-E, like t-shirt, Ability Adaptive Wear. And you can find us there, and that's where we post most of our updates. And there's a link to our website as well. I love that. And so also, y'all... We have a tradition here on the Count to Ten podcast where at the end of every episode, because we do talk about some heavy topics, we have some humorous moments and everything where I like to help you guys regulate back into your daily life and everything like that. So we do 10 seconds of just uh, silence and mindfulness. So as I always say, if you are driving, please keep your eyes on the road. Do not close your eyes. But if you are in a comfortable location in your home or what have you, wherever you are, get comfortable, get relaxed and just take a moment with us today all right breathe in and out breathe in and out all righty everybody thank you so much for listening again and we will catch you on the next episode please love you so much and make sure you count to 10 before you snap today and get some things done today love y'all peace